Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia Fidel. Welcome back to the Femi Pod for episode number 37. You're here with your Femi founders, Esther and myself, Lydia. This week, we have a three-time returning guest to the pod, none other than our head Femi trail and ultra coach, Lucy Bartholomew. For those who don't know, there won't be many of you. Lucy is one of Australia's finest ultra and trail runners with a long list of accolades to her name. Recently, Lucy was on a mission to run the famous Western States ultra marathon in the US for the third time. Unfortunately, Lucy faced a few challenges throughout the race and wasn't able to complete the course. Lucy has always been one of the strongest athletes we know, and although we understand the challenges of not quite hitting your goals, we're excited to hear from Lucy today and the learnings she has taken, not only from the race, but her journey to get there. Lucy, hi. Thanks for being here with us today. How are you and how are you feeling right at this moment? Hi, well, I feel much better to be talking to both of you and hearing the Australian or New Zealand accents actually from you two. I'm good. I feel like it's like three and a half weeks removed from the race and definitely coming to the other side of that post-race blues that come without even finishing the race. I feel like they're a little deeper. So it's, uh, it's good to be on the other side. Talk us through the Western States race. I think for a lot of our listeners, they might not know exactly what the race involves. What is the race? What does the course look like? And what's the history behind it? Yeah, so the Western States is kind of considered the grandfather of ultra running. So it's 100 miles, 160 kilometres, and it runs from above Tahoe in the place called Olympic Valley and runs down through the Alpine and into the canyons of Auburn in California. So it kind of comes with the challenge of, of the distance, but also the terrain, but also the uh, weather. So you can start in the snow and then get down into 40 degree, 100 degree Fahrenheit canyons um, whilst trying to move on your feet as fast as you can. So this race started as a horse race and it became a running race when a man was on his horse, his horse went lame, the horse stopped, but the man wanted to try and continue. And so this guy, he didn't make cut off initially because the horse race is cut off as 24 hours. Um, but then he went back the next time, completed it in 24 hours, and then it became this thing. The running race now has a cutoff time of 30 hours, but it's a very sought after event to get into. It hosts 360 spots and it's about 10,000 people apply to get into it. So someone like my dad has been waiting eight years as a 62 year old man to try and get into this race. And I feel incredibly grateful that in 2018, I was given a spot through Ultra Trail World Tour um, as an elite athlete, an upcoming uh, female. And I was able to race there and I came third. And then when you come top 10, you get to return. So I returned in 2019 and didn't have such a great day and finished uh, 12th or 13th. I'm not sure and then was able to re get myself back in again through the world tour um which was meant to be 2020 but of course with the lockdowns it stretched to this year 2022 so it's been a big part of my race this race has been a big part of my life and uh it's cool to to be back here I feel like Auburn California is like my second home wow what a crazy race I feel like I don't know what would be worse, freezing cold or boiling hot, probably boiling hot running. I'm not sure. <laughs> you would be the 
expert. What, what do you think? Is it hot or the cold is the hardest? It's definitely the heat. Um, I think, you know, you're not in the alpine and altitude for very long and it's at the start of the race. So you're feeling pretty fresh. Um, I feel like the altitude just paces you. You can't push it. But when you start descending into those canyons and it's getting later in the race, later in the day, um, it really starts to pile up. And so it's super, super challenging. And this year was a really hot year again. Um, in 2019, when I did it, it was considered a cooler year and the times were really fast. Um, but I always excelled in 2018, the year I came third was a really hot year. And I think being Australian, but also being maybe not the fastest runner out there, but probably has the most tools in her toolbox from years of experience. Um, I'm more of the gritty style. So the hotter weather suits me better because it, it slows everyone else down. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And we, we obviously know how excited you were to get to this race for the third time and such an achievement for you. And we'll obviously jump into that journey uh, a little bit more soon. But what was your mindset like going into the race and especially the week leading into it? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting feeling. I think, you know, I've always come here in 2018. I came here with no expectations. It was my first time running hundred miles, first time to Western States, first time to the USA. And, you know, people said that I ran around like a golden retriever being brought home for the first time, you know, just super like wide eyed and, and really wagging tail, like super excited. And then I returned in 2019. And I would say that I had this level of expectation that I knew what it would feel like. And it felt completely different and not for the better. It was a very, very challenging day. My headspace was just constantly comparison to the year before. And so with two years of gap in between where I was able to kind of wrap my head around returning and leaving that expectation and just kind of going hundred miles can go really well. And it can also be really, really long way. Um, I was felt this really kind of sense of calm. I think that having not been able to race or to travel for two years meant that the gratitude for being away from Australia and lining up with some of my best friends and doing this prestigious race that I'd been working towards for two years, it was kind of like, I didn't feel like I could lose, which I think made the whole, how it all played out even more challenging because in my mind, I was like, I will crawl to the finish line in 30 hours if I have to. And I never in my mind thought that the option would be taken away from me and someone would make it for me being the medics. Um, and so, yeah, it's just something I hadn't prepared for. It was a tool I didn't have and I wasn't able to, I didn't handle it super well in the moment, but um, yeah, it was it really challenging, but I had such a good headspace going into it and uh, I really felt like it was tested to its extreme. Mm, it's so interesting when you talk about like having done something for the first time and then going back and doing it again. And I'm very similar. I think my first marathon that I ever ran will definitely be the best marathon that I'll ever run in my life because you kind of go into it with no expectations and no idea of how it's going to hurt or how it's going to even feel. And then every other marathon after that, you kind of have this level of expectation and you want it to be met the way that you did it the first time. And it's never going to be the same. And it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that. But I think, you know, now I've gone through I think maybe nine marathons and you've done this race multiple times. I think we're probably both at a point where we can look back and be like accepting that it's never going to be the same journey or race day that we've ever had before. And trying to look at it with fresh eyes is really important. Do you want to step through the race? Like, obviously this is up to you, how deep you want to go, but if you feel comfortable, do you want to talk us through kind of like when the gun went off, if you have a gun, I'm not sure if you have a gun at the start of an ultra marathon and then how that kind of rolled out for you. 
Yeah, totally. So the race starts at 5am. And um, I mean, I felt fine. I was just really excited to get this thing started race week, the days before the race are always just this waiting game. Um, You go up to Olympic Village, Olympic Valley, um, up to the ski resort, and there's not a whole lot to do unless you're running. So to be up there the days before, it was kind of just sitting around tapping fingers on the table waiting. So when the gun went off, um, I was kind of, I'd always raced this race, um, probably not in the smartest way you would run a hundred miles. I always kind of would try and run up this first incline and the first three miles, first five kilometers is straight up a ski slope. It's a really, really challenging way to start a race. Um, you know, in hindsight, it's nature pacing you. You should just hike that and just enjoy the sunrise and then warm up into the day. But of course, you're surrounded by elite athletes. You're excited. You've got lots of energy and people start to jog and run and can burn a few candles going up it. So this was the first year that I was very happy to let them go. And I was just hiking and talking and chatting to some other girls and guys around me. And it felt really easy. And it was the first time that in 2018 when I did it, I ran the whole climb and it's it's never been that a female has got to the top of the escarpment, the first climb in first place, and then won the race. They've always died off. So in 2018, I got to the top of the escarpment in first place, obviously finished in third. Um, and then in 2019, I remember getting to the top of the escarpment and looking at my watch and just thinking, my gosh, that's all we've done. I, I'm so burnt. Like I just want to go back down and go back to bed. Like I just wasn't in the right mindset for the day. And this time I got to the top, looked at the sunrise. It was super beautiful. And then just kind of like rolled down the other side and was like, this is great. I'm really comfortable with where I am. Super happy. Had a really nice girl behind me, a really nice guy in front of me. And we just were like this little train working together and feeling pretty good. So that continued for 20 miles, so 30 Ks. Um, We just kind of picked our way through the alpine rocky terrain. It's not fast moving, so it's better to work together because the trail is pretty hard to find. And then you descend down into this checkpoint and it's really rocky. And I, it's, it felt like it was rockier than it's ever been before, but maybe I just haven't been really running on as technical trails. And I was running down and this is very loose memories, but I clipped my toes on some rocks and this is on a descent. So I flew through the air, proper Superman style. And I landed, hit my head, my right cheek on a big rock on the side and then rolled and tore up the left side of my legs and body. And I blacked out from what I understand now um but I got up and kind of I think the adrenaline was like you're fine you're fine you know when you roll an ankle and you're like I'm good I'm good just gonna hobble these next few steps and it'll sort itself out and I was like I'm good I'm good ran into the checkpoint and obviously everyone just wanted to clean the blood up my arms and legs I'm like oh you had a fall you're fine good job you know you got heaps of time you're doing really well And so they kind of ushered me out of the checkpoint, which is very, in ultra running, that's what people do. You know, it's kind of like, you're fine unless your arm is detached, you know, (laughs) like they want you to keep going. They're obviously your biggest fans and want the best for you. But when I left that checkpoint, again, it kind of keeps going down. It's technical. And I think the adrenaline had worn off and to the mind energy or the brain energy to focus on the trail really started to make my head feel really horrible. Um, So I was kind of like going really slow and trying obviously not to fall again. And then 
the trail was kind of moving like, um, like you're seasick. And so I was just feeling really woozy. I went to try and eat and I threw up. And then once I started throwing up that, I just kept throwing up. And so I moved forward for another, uh, 10 kilometers, six miles and got to the major checkpoint. And I think someone at the previous checkpoint had obviously radioed and said like, uh, number 37 is like looking, I don't know. She's got scratches on her arms and legs, but I like it looks like she's hit her face and by that point my face had started swelling up and all I was trying to do as I was running was like not get it to close my eye because I was like then I'm definitely not going anywhere so I got to the next checkpoint and they obviously wanted to assess me and I was trying to like eat to make myself look normal and they want what's best for you again they were kind of like oh well you know if you think you're fine but I've done this race twice before. And after this checkpoint, you descend into these really big canyons that are really inaccessible, really hot, really challenging. And I'm not going to disrespect the nature, the race, the people that are out there and put them at risk in so- if something had happened to me. So I kind of, I wanted to go so badly, but I knew, and I kind of, as I stood up and went to kind of make the decision to go or not I just threw up and that was when the medic was like there's no chance you're going um and so that was the end of the day I then had to sit there for like three hours and just hold ice to my eye and wait for a lift out and then I got a lift down down the mountain to the halfway point where I was able to lucky enough to see the front of the race come through which was really cool I'd never been able to to be a spectator at the race and so apart from having to combat a lot of questions coming at me um it was cool to still be able to be a part of the event and uh, watch some incredible performances yeah wow crazy crazy story and I was streaming in watching some of the race especially at the start watching that climate start and it's just like I've done some crazy things in my life and I've run some hard races, but that was just next level, just seeing all of you athletes out there, just like going for it, like pretty inspiring. You obviously stepped off the course or got pulled off the course to protect yourself, but also to protect other people. Obviously a very hard decision for you to make, and it probably did help having other people around you to make that decision for you, but you should be proud of yourself for making that decision. Do you feel in this moment now, three weeks after the race, you're proud of yourself? Yeah, definitely. I would say that if I'd woken up the next day and my, I just had a few cuts and a bit of bruising, I would have been probably disappointed, but because the pain and the lingering of in my head and that, that lightheadedness has stuck around. It's kind of been this, like, you made the right decision. Like this just wasn't just like a little knock and a bit of bruising. It was like a proper, proper concussion where I went and got my head checked and um, was advised not to fly anywhere like I was going to be uh, meant to be doing. And so, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, hindsight is, uh, it is the right, it was the right decision. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt, but you know, there'll be another race, but I only have one head. So I think it's important to protect it. Yes, you definitely made the right decision and concussions are no joke. So I'm sure it was really hard for you, but we're really proud of you for what you did. And looking after yourself um, is always the main thing. But obviously with Western States for you, it's, it's so much more than just a race. And you've been on a real big journey over the last few years going from you know your third place into this most recent race but 
we don't expect you to dive super deep into your entire journey, but as a whole over the last few years, what's been the most powerful thing you've learned about yourself through this time? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think Western States always seems to be this like little checkpoint that I come to in June. Um, You know, in 2018, I was incredibly fit. I was unsustainably fit um, and unhealthy in that. I think you can be fit, but unhealthy. Um, And then to return in 2019 and to be maybe healthy, but then mentally unfit. (laughs) It was kind of this uh, different sides of the seesaw. And then really worked hard on kind of just like balancing those two out and just making them both healthy. So, you know, I, I think back and I think if 2018 Lucy or 2019 Lucy had been pulled, it would have been a very different situation. I wouldn't have had that kind of philosophy, the kind of support community around me that would have made what I've been through the last three weeks since the race as easy as it has been. Um, And I think that, you know, it's just, it really taught me when you run a hundred miles, when you go for any run that's challenging to you, whether that's five kilometers, a marathon, a hundred Ks, hundred miles, you've got to have your mind and body in sync. You've got to be so stoked on what you've, you're doing you've got to be so healthy and uninjured you've got to be so grateful and you've got to be so optimistic but you've also got to plan for what if things don't go right and so it's just kind of I think for me I never conceptualized not finishing I that was just always kind of a I've never done that before I've never not finished um, I'm known for being that person that will grit something out and I think in the lead up a lot of people were kind of saying, you know, you did the Lara Pinto, big 200K run in the desert. This will be a piece of cake. It'll be easy. And I think that just made me kind of rest on that and think, oh, this will be easy. You know, it's not going to be as hard or as long or as hot or as, you know, I'm not going to be alone. Um, and so I think that, you know, I kind of feel like it was the world just being like, I don't know, slapping me on the ground and being like, dude, <laughs> like you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, the gratitude for those first 30 miles of 50 K was, is super awesome. And I'm really happy that I was able to at least get to the start line in such a good space. Um, although it does mean that I don't feel like I'm done with Western States. I did have a feeling before the race of loved preparing for it, had a great time, but I kind of felt like I was going to move away from the hundred mile distance for a little bit, just because it's, it's so much training and it's so much running, but it's also just, you do one a year and it's kind of breaks you. And then you have to just do it again next year if you do well. So it was kind of like the reason why I felt like I couldn't lose at this race was because I was like, this is just like my last pilgrimage, my last hurrah for a little bit at this event. And because it's been co- cut early I feel like there's this sense of like well we I don't have that kind of nice folded ending that I wanted I don't have that calm with it and so I want to return and I want to make the whole journey and you know do it do it again so it's kind of just uh you know it'll be that little thing on my shoulder and this will be something that come June next year if I manage to get a spot back in it it'll be like you know, talk about there's redemption and then there's trying to come back with a point. And I think that that's something that I'm, um, yeah, keen to do. So it's just Western States 2023 will have to be now on the cards. (laughs) 
you are crazy. <laughs> I mean, I love it. But um, even just hearing Ruth Croft, the Kiwi that won Western States this year, I watched the interview with her after the race and they asked her if she's coming back and she said, fuck no. <laughs> um, and so it's interesting to hear that you're keen to go back and put yourself through it all again, but it just shows your mental and physical strength and the resilience you have, which we're going to touch on soon. But before we do so, like we know you've been racing since you were a young girl. You raced 100Ks when you were 15. Do you think as you're getting older, your perception towards racing and running as a whole is changing? Yeah, I would definitely say that racing is not the reason that I run. Um, I think there was a portion there where I was like, you know, I've got a sponsorship with Solomon. My job is to race and to to prove myself and to put them on a podium. And that's how I'll gain um, acceptance and value in the community and stuff like that. And I think that one thing that this whole experience has taught me is that I probably relate to so many more people now that I've had this race where it didn't go to plan, where I didn't finish. And so I think that that's like a really, it's cool. It's a cool thing to experience because now I can resonate with people. Whereas sometimes I'd be like, you should have just continued. (laughs) And it's sometimes just not that easy. Um, And so I think, you know, when I was younger, doing races was such a, you know, it was a rare occurrence. I wasn't old enough to really do races. So when a race would let me in, it was such a gift. And then it naturally, as I got older and I could, I was old enough to enter myself, um, it was kind of like, well, of course I will do all the ones that kind of said no when I was young. I'm just going to do them all now. And then I think, you know, the level of competition is higher. The amount that it takes out of you is more. The need to train is a lot more. Um, And so you only want to show up and you only want to bring your best. So I think that you race less so you can race better. But I think for me, it's kind of, I love the racing aspect, but I can go to a race and I can be a spectator or a pacer or a volunteer and I can just be a part of someone else's day and it brings me just as much joy. Like I don't really feel the need to um, prove myself in the sport, in the racing capacity, but I can give other people their ability to show their best and help them. And I think that that's kind of what interests me more I like of course I will always line up and I will do the races that are close to my heart and then inspire me but I'm not going to show up just to show up um and I think that that's something that comes with age because I think it takes a little bit to realize that you don't need to do it all and if you do it all you might be left with nothing else that you can do that's so true I definitely relate to that with like track running and I think it comes to a point where you you look at yourself and think about why you're doing it and then if there's reasons that aren't aligning to you anymore, then it's good to like be able to be aware and step away. And people will be so grateful to have you there supporting them, you know, like imagine having Lucy as your pacer. I mean, can I please put my hand up first when I do my first ultra to have you as my pacer, please? Um, Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about resilience a little bit deeper. Um, But I think women are always encouraged to be resilient because of the amount of times that we've been knocked down. So we always kind of have to find our way back up. But quite often this comes after a really hard experience in life, which takes time and it can be really painful to get through. But we both believe that resilience is something that radiates from you. And even the way you've been talking today about, you know, you hit your head and you're instantly three weeks later, I'm going back to do it. You know, like that's just so strong and resilient. But how do you see being resilient and how do you think you built resilience into your tool belt? 
I think there can be maybe confusion between stubbornness and resilience. <laughs> um, but I think you build resilience from your failures, right? And you people don't like the word failures. They'll use the words lessons or, you know, like growth experiences. But it comes from not meeting your goals the first time. If you, every time you lined up, you won. And every time you ran, you set a PB you really don't learn to fail and to fail well. And I think that to fail well is to, to be able to look at it from another perspective and be like, well, shit, okay, this didn't go as planned, but what did I learn from this? What did I, what are the positives I can take away? What are the areas that I'm just frustrated by? So what I did is after the race, the race was on Saturday, Sunday, I was in a lot of pain. Monday, Tuesday, I sat down and I wrote down. This is because I couldn't look at screens for a long time. So I did a lot of handwriting. Um, but I wrote down like what went well in the buildup? What went well in the race day? How was my nutrition for that first 30 miles? How was my gear that I wore? How was, how was I handling like things that were being thrown at me? Blah, 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 blah. How was my pacing? What was I frustrated by? What did I learn from it? What can I do better? And I think that if you can kind of look at it from that perspective, as how I would speak to someone if one of my Femi girls had a bad race, I wouldn't talk to them the way I was talking to myself for those first few days. You know, I would have been like, okay, let's break it down. No big deal. Setback, comeback. We've got this, you know? And I think that um, it's like the slingshot effect, right? Sometimes you need to be pulled backwards in order to lurch forward and to be able to grow the most. And so I think that, you know, I've had a lot of knockbacks. When I was 15 wanting to run races, I was told no, and I still managed to get my way in and do it. When I left school and was told that I needed to go to university, I said, I'll show you me going to Europe and making this a job. You know, I went to brands I wanted to work with. I, you know, you've got to put yourself out there. You get knocked back down. And I feel like that's where you grow your resilience. Um, and it's just kind of looking that in a positive outlook and putting it in your pocket or your toolbox and being like, that was a really shitty moment. It was a really hard circumstance that I had to go through. It's a memory that I will always have, but there's, I'm going to look back on this time that feels really hard right now. And it's going to only prepare me for something better in the future. And I kind of think like, you know, what has the universe got for me? If it wasn't finishing Western States, there must be something else coming. Um, and so it's just that optimism and that resilience and that kind of, yeah, belief that it's, it's going to work out in the end because it's not the end. Um, and just to keep showing up one more time, you know, get knocked down seven, get up eight kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. And I, I definitely believe sport is such an amazing tool to teach us resilience and something that, you know, as mentioned, a lot of girls um, are almost forced to be resilient because we don't really have any other option. But I think sport is a really nice way to show like, yeah, you're going to fail or not hit your goals and, you know, maybe not reach them at some points, but it doesn't mean you should just completely give up. And yeah, through that, this sport, I think it's a really powerful way to learn that lesson and, and take that into other areas of your life as well. So it's awesome. I think the way you talk about it in a way of like, sit back, come back, like that's awesome. I, I want to get that tattooed on me. Um, <laughs> and also I think another amazing thing what sport does for us is obviously looks after our mental health and something we talk about a lot is the power of running in particular and the way it can really create a really healthy mind. So I think in this day and age, like mental health is something nearly everyone talks about, but probably not enough people actually take action on to work on. 
what has your relationship been like with your mental health? And are there things that you do that you're aware of to build your mental fitness, say, or especially at the moment going through the challenges you've been through, are there particular things you do on the like regular or daily that look after your mental health? Yeah, I think a big one would be writing things down. I think um, especially handwriting, not typing it into your notes on your phone. I think your thoughts in your head come so quickly and we can so quickly have this negative story and all these details that are not, not true and just kind of made up. When you write it down and you write quite slowly, you can't put them all down and you start to realise how silly they are as you go. Um, so I think writing things down is something that I'm really passionate about. I always have scrap pieces of paper everywhere, just kind of thoughts and feelings and um, emotions as they come because once they come, you can kind of... Um, scrunch that piece of paper up and pop it in the bin and you've probably moved on from that feeling you know everything is impermanent and I think that that's like something that we forget we think that you know I felt like western states was always going to be like everyone was going to be talking about it everyone's going to keep asking me if I was okay and blah, blah 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 which just it wasn't what I needed in those moments but there was another race last weekend everyone has moved on um and you just realize that western states was everything for me of 24th of july 25th of july no one cares or sorry june i don't even know what month it is um but it's like one day of the year that um you know i felt like was like this massive big deal sun rose sunset sun rose again and everyone's moved on and i think that that's kind of like remembering that is really important and then I would say, you know, talking to people, I think it's really easy. And I think a lot of mental health, it comes from, it thrives in secrecy. It thrives in darkness and in silence and in kind of being kept within yourself and just, you know, those negative thoughts, those negative stories that you tell yourself, you just sit with and you just believe them. But if you talk to someone and they can tell you that that's not true, that's not accurate, or maybe you can look at it differently, whether it's a therapist, a friend, a family member, I think that like, um, that's been something that I've been really good about was just kind of, you know, even if I'm in America and I might not be with my family, still just like making that effort to, to talk to the people who matter the most to me. And um, I'd say those were like the two biggest things. And then just kind of also honoring all the feelings. I think that when I put that post up about not finishing Western States on social media, there was such an overwhelming amount of comments of like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Get back out there. Like, you know, like next race, what's next for you? Da, da, da. You'll be fine. How are you? And I think that I just found that so overwhelming because I just, I try and get back to everyone on social media. I just couldn't do it. And I think that just kind of being like, you know what, right, what, right now what I need is to just like, I need silence and I need to just like step away from social media. I need to step away from like that spotlight that I can sometimes feel like just inundates me and um, just kind of really give myself some peace and just do what I want to do in the way I want to do it. Um, and that's why I'm super grateful for where I, st I stay in California because the family here were just kind of like, cool, you know, you do what you want to do. Like just sleep in, look after yourself, go for a walk, listen to music, do what you got to do. And I think just allowing myself to feel like sad and frustrated and then disappointed and then hopeful and then grateful. And then, you know, the nine steps or seven steps of grieving, I don't know what it is, but um, you know, just allowing that process to happen naturally and not feeling like, yes, I, I should enter something else now because I, I need to be doing something. And it's kind of like, 
I don't need to be doing anything right now. What I need to be doing is just kind of checking in with myself and giving myself that time and space. Yeah, definitely. That's some really good tools. And I hope that you're feeling a lot better now. Obviously, it's been three weeks and you've had some time to digest it all. And it seems like you're in a much better space now than probably the day after. And that's because of all the things that you've been doing to look after yourself. Um, so yeah, really helpful stuff. But the trail world and like the people that you were running against and the whole uh, the whole group that did Western States and just everyone that does trail seems to be such amazing, beautiful people. And they're real go-getters and they love looking after the planet and themselves. And that's the whole vibe that I see when I look at trail running. Um, like if you agree with that why do you think that the trail scene is full of such pure life-loving runners yes I agree with that <laughs> I agree with that statement um at the moment who knows as the sport grows I think that you know you're always going to get people from other areas that have differing opinions um but I think that the trail and ultra world is so connected to nature because it's our playground, right? Like the track is the track athletes playground. That's their second home, their office for the, for the professional athletes. Um, road runners, same thing. I'm sure they look after the cities. I hope they pick up trash as they walk to work or whatever. Um, but, you know, trail runners are so, so about protecting their playgrounds because, you know, it's kind of the nature is going to see the biggest forefront of the environmental stuff that's going down. And, um, you know, the seasons are getting crazy. The heat is getting insane. The snow is not coming. Um, and so the off seasons aren't showing. Um, but I think that they're just trail runners and ultra runners are pure because you have to be a pretty vulnerable person to do these type of events and to kind of really release control at Western States is a perfect example of what you think is going to happen and what you think you can do and understand that nature or conditions or random strange rocks can get underneath you and trip you up um, and so you just have to be really kind of open-hearted to all of that and I think that just leads to the people that are the best runners on the trail or who love it the most and who are really kind of consistently out there are the ones that are just like super open to who they are and ready to be broken down and built back up by trail running and nature. And I think that that's, it's such a beautiful community because there's a real kind of acceptance for everyone to be a part of it, to share this massive world we've got and all these playgrounds, but then to protect it and to, um, to look after each other and look after, you know, how best they can look after the earth. Yeah, it's an interesting one and um, something our Femi doctor, Dr. Izzy, has talked about before around how like this endurance sport of ultra and trail running really is open to people who are really aware of themselves and their mental health and the environment. And she talks about it in a way it's like, does that sport attract those people for a particular reason or are those people like that because they do that sport? Well, I think, I think it's interesting, especially the ultra distances. I think especially people that have maybe mental health struggles in the past, you do find that they do lean towards the long stuff. And it's because sometimes mental health, whether it be depression or anxiety or um, substance abuse or, you know, those kind of things, you might be swapping out that for running and for running for long periods of time, getting out in nature is yes, beneficial. Um, and yeah, it's considered a healthy swap, but it's not, a, it's not a, 
band-aid solution, you know, right? It's like, it's something you can do. It's definitely an incredible tool to have in your toolbox, but to get down to that deep cause. And I think that every athlete, every human should have a, a therapist for someone to talk to, for someone to, I think calling sport, your meditation, your cheaper than therapy, all those things, I think is kind of BS. Like, yeah, cool tool to have, but it's not solving your deep rooted problem. And if you get injured and you no longer have that outlet, then it's a real concern for where you will head next. Um, And so I think that ultra running is full of people that definitely have demons. And I think we all do, but um, whether they're running away from them or running with them uh, is kind of, it's very individual, but it's definitely something that's in the sport. And it concerns me sometimes of, um, yeah, how people are really people looking after themselves or are they just running from those problems? Mm, That's so true. I mean, it is an amazing tool, but it's only one tool to look after your mental health. And we need many more than that to stay mentally healthy. Obviously, Western States didn't go the way that you hoped or wanted it to go, and maybe it's too soon to say, but I feel like you are in a place to answer this question. Do you think you've found some silver linings in the experience that you've been through recently? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's definitely, it just wasn't something I envisioned. And so it was kind of this like flustered feeling of like, oh my gosh, this wasn't what I planned. This, you know, I couldn't take the flights I wanted to. I couldn't do the big trips I wanted to. I didn't have the, it's crazy because I had like, when you finish a race, you normally have the post-race blues and you have that kind of like, oh, I no longer have that purpose of training for that race. And that day was such a high and it was full of adrenaline. And then I finished and it was awesome. And then you have that real, it's like a calm period of like, wow, I did that. Like I ran a hundred miles, sweet. Or I ran my race. It's super cool. And then you have the blues of like, oh, what do I do now? Who am I? Do I like running? Can I still run? And then you find that other goal. And I think that I kind of went straight into the blues there was no calm of like oh I did it like that was great I just went into this like who am I what am I doing all that questioning can I still do this I only made it a third of the way like what who am I what am I and um and I think that not having that was really challenging but I've never experienced that and now that I have I'm kind of like huh yeah, like you can experience that feeling doing the race or not doing the race. And probably people, people that didn't even start the race were probably sitting at home, whether they had COVID or an injury, feeling the same way. Like they had that same feeling. And I think if that can just be a powerful tool to resonate with those people and then, you know, the next finish line I get to, the gratitude of having the finish line and getting the medal, whatever that signifies to someone um, and just being like, yeah, I did it. You know, I, I made the, I made the journey. I gave it the best. And I think that that's a gratitude that maybe I was lacking um, in my 10 years of doing this sport. So I feel like it's given me something um, and I'm, I'm sure it'll show up probably when I next stand on the start line and make it to a finish line. Well, they do say that happiness is a journey and not a destination. So (laughs) with the journey that you've been on, how much of an emphasis do you put on your own happiness? And when do you genuinely feel the most happy? And do you think that's changed since this experience? And, you know, obviously you've never not finished a race and now you have. Do you think that's changed now? Yeah, I think... um... 
I think there's good and hard to every situation, every choice that we make. I think there's always kind of like a what if or a what but or like how come. Um, there's always those questioning. And I think that um, I think what really shone to me was the community. And I've always loved the community of ultra running, but my paces, Alexi Pappas and Bailey, who were meant to pace me, didn't get a chance, but still hung out with me all Saturday and looked after me. And then coming back down to that halfway mark and seeing the likes of Ruth Croft coming through, looking so amazing and Adam Peterman and the men's um, and just getting to spectate it was just a a lesson in masterclass, like how to, how to run a hundred miles and then to go to mile 99 uh, throughout the night and watch people come in that were either making, yeah, finishing in 14 hours like Adam Peterman or all the way through to the 30 hour cutoff and watching the last lady who came in, she ended up finishing with two minutes after the race finished 30 hours and two minutes, who was a cancer survivor and just kind of really powerful story. But to be present for that kind of thing and to see how the community gets around everyone who doesn't care what your story is, where you came from, they're not going to discriminate. And it's the likewise, you know, people still respected and looked after and talked to me as if, you know, like it was like, yeah, it's a bummer, but we'll just see you back here. You know, it's not, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. It's just another chapter. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing to see and makes me really proud of the the sport and the community that, well, especially Western States pulls out. It's really, really incredible. Wow. That's really moving. <laughs> it's really cool. And it just excites me to like be amongst that community one day too. It's very inspiring to like. 2023. Well, and not Western States, the trail community for sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'll be lining up for 100 miles anytime soon, but I'm very excited. <laughs> your journey has been incredible and I think you're just like inspiring so many people around the world. I don't think you have any idea how many lives you touch through the work that you do and the running and the story that you tell, I think is so powerful. And I know you didn't get the result that you wanted, but I honestly do believe like the universe is steering you in the right direction. And I think you've already learned so much. It's pretty incredible how much you've already taken away in three weeks. Um, I think most people would take about a year to be able to process. So you should be super proud of yourself of that. And we're so thankful for you to be able to share your story with us to be able to get this out to the Fumi community as well. I know so many people are going to be yeah, loving to hear from you. Before we finish, we do have two quick fire questions. We're not going to ask you the same questions that we, as we asked in the first episode. So don't worry, you don't need to repeat yourself. But the first one is where to from here? And that's not where to in terms of like, what is your next race? But like when I ask that question, what comes to mind first? Well, I think what comes to mind is like physically, what am I doing next? And, you know, I initially wanted to go straight home and I was like, I just need to be with my dog and my dad and, you know, Lydia's back in Melbourne and kind of just hanging out with that really kind of comfort. But I think what is really next is kind of, you know, putting myself back in that community um, that I kind of had distanced myself from um, being at maybe UTMB in, in Chamonix, getting back into the mountains and just kind of finding that, um, 
that synchronicity that I thought I had before Western States, I felt like the knock kind of knocked that around. So it's just kind of getting back to trusting my body that I can run, that I can lift my feet above the rocks (laughs) and um, just kind of, you know, taking running for what it is. And it's a beautiful thing to do. And it's a great thing to share. It's not the be all, the end all. Um, And just kind of enjoy the last bit of sunshine on this side of the world. Um, And then just kind of looking at ways that I can, tell this story and use these experiences to help other people because from what I understand because the amount of millions of messages I got is that there's a lot of people out there that are struggling with having not finished their race for falling short of their goals for not having the day they expected and I think that we always hear the hero story and I think it's important to tell all aspects so just kind of trying to keep dissecting my experience and seeing how I feel. And um, yeah, this is the only podcast I said that I would do on this um, because I still feel like it's raw, Um, but just kind of to keep, keep moving forward and keep looking forward and seeing what else uh, comes on the horizon. We feel very honored and appreciate that you've talked to us today. And yeah, so many people will relate like you said the hero story we always see the people that you know middle and they've had the best day ever and they're feeling on top of the world and then there's just as many if not more people who are probably feeling quite gutted and you know didn't reach their goals and I think yeah it's an important thing that we all go through I've definitely had some absolute shockers in my life so I relate to you (laughs) Luz and then the last question which you may have already covered um but if you could think of one thing that was your highest high from this most recent trip to Western States, what would you think that was? I think my highest high would have been going back down to the halfway point and watching Ruth Croft and Emily Hallgood and mainly the females, uh, not to be sexist, but the females race was incredibly, incredibly hot this year. Um, and to see someone like Ruth, who is a, a quiet achiever and master in running. Um, and then for her to, you know, the next morning to check in on me, I think was just like, this is really, really special. Um, and I think, yeah, getting to see that and being a part of it and kind of sitting with Alexi and Bailey and just kind of watching Western States happen from another perspective uh, through one eye at that point. But um, nonetheless, um, I think that that was, you know, it was probably the highlight of the day, which is which is wild. Um, I think that it's the probably the point people would think I'd be the most disappointed. But I think you know, the decision was made, the decision was right, it was done, it was in the past. And so it was just kind of really cool to be in that moment with, to see someone like Ruth just absolutely crushing. Wow, I love the support you have for other people is amazing and why we're so, so grateful to have you as a Femi coach because you're always looking out for other people and supporting other women especially. And yeah, we're so proud of you, Luce. I think what you've achieved over, you know, the last few weeks, but also the last few years and how far you've come as a person has just been super inspiring. We're so excited to see what you do next, whether, you know, in the running space and beyond, like we're so proud that you're part of our team. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, I know our listeners are going to love this episode. So if you do want to send us some comments or thoughts or any words of inspiration for Luce, you can hit us up at femi.co. You obviously can go straight to Lucy's Instagram at lucy.bartholomew. Lucy underscore. 
I was put Lucy <laughs> underscore Bartholomew. Um, or you can head to our web- website and send us a message, me.co. But thank you so much for everybody for listening today. And we will be back in your ears next week. Bye. Thanks. Thank you.